you prepared a whole slide deck here um, with a bunch of awesome information. So maybe we should just jump into this to start. Um, we're starting with the total revenues, I guess. Yeah, so like, you know, another quarter, another record for Tesla. And, um, you know, what's important to know is that, you know, everybody, the entire financial conversation surrounding Tesla is on that top line growth. And that's been the story since, uh, since inception is, uh, you know, increasing the, um, the total addressable market that Tesla has been working on, um, starting with the super high end, you know, luxury vehicle market and now get, getting into the mass market. So, it, you know, it's been an incredible growth story at the top line, you know, delivering about 50% annualized growth since, you know, 2013. So it's been absolutely phenomenal. However, I think what's going to happen is, although that growth, you know, trajectory, I think will continue, um, I think the bigger story, and this is something I think people should pay a lot more attention to, is uh, the growth in efficiency. Um, and the concept of that is known as return on assets or return on invested capital or return on equity, any of those ideas. Um, so as we see continued revenue growth, you know, as new products start to come online, uh, such as Cybertruck, the Semi, and then the explosive growth in Tesla energy, I think is still, still to be seen. Um, the growth rate is still going to be fantastic. Um, but um, keep in mind, uh, growth is great. But if it doesn't come at a high level of efficiency in terms of uh, the total capex spend, then uh, investors will at ultimately discount the shares. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that, you know, in in, in future slides here. Yeah, and so um, I kind of wanted to set it up even more than that too, which is this this really cool concept of like the it, the financials for Tesla are really clicking. Like we've all you know been so excited about the technology and the products and the vision of Tesla and Elon Musk, but now it's like the financials are clicking into place of like, it's not just the products that look and feel totally different than a car you would drive on the road, the financials and the way the business is actually maturing in the financial statements is looking totally different than a traditional car company and like justifying all these crazy new types of valuation. Um, and it seems like we're really starting to get the evidence of that. And especially this Q3, like record cash flow profits in the midst of a pandemic, everyone else is shrinking. And what's most impressive to me is like the way the margins and the profitability of this revenue growth is happening all at the same time. And like, we're about to dive into that, which I'm so hyped on. Um, but yeah, I think it's really awesome. I just want to take a second on that trailing 12 month revenue chart. Cause we started to see it tick back up to like 28 bill. And so now I think it's, they've got the model Y, um, this China thing that's going on Berlin. Like, I just think we're, you know, Tesla I was looking at their market cap today. It's like what? 390 billion, um, versus 28, 12, 12 month trailing, 28 billion trailing revenue. Like we're probably only at like eight times current revenue and shrinking, like, Compared to the price sales of a lot of these other tech companies, like it didn't even seem that crazy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm curious if you had any comments on like the gross profit or the revenue chart before we move on, because I think these are these pretty self-explanatory, but have totally um, like especially the gross profit as well. Like I wonder how much of this has been manufacturing improvements versus economies of scale versus FSD. Um, you know, any commentary there? Yeah, so that's that's the next slide is is that um, although we've seen impressive revenue growth of 50%, um, the gross profit growth, and this is the growth in the total gross profit dollars, uh, not margins, um, has actually exceeded that number. And that's important to see is anytime um, a number you know, below the revenue line grows faster than revenue, any profit line below revenue that grows faster than revenue, it's indicating the presence of operating leverage. 
Um, and so now that we see gross profit exceed the growth rate of revenue, um, that's telling us that Tesla is hitting scale now um, because there is a fixed cost component within the cost of goods sold, which hits you know, the you know, revenues right after. Um, and so with increasing um, asset utilization, as Tesla leverages their existing asset base even more and more, um, by removing the bottlenecks, like you mentioned, like uh, improving uh, design of the cars um, and even improving the manufacturing process of cars, um, we see that the gross profit will continue to grow, in my, in my opinion, faster than revenue growth for many, many years. And a part of that is also due to the presence of uh, FSD as well. Yeah. And I wanted to just uh, throw something in there, which is Tesla was really compressing their average selling price for a couple of years, like Model 3, the 35,000. Like this was a trend for the past like five years thinking of Tesla. It was just kept average selling prices kept coming down. And yet now through all, all that was said and done, they've actually not only maintained margins, but last quarter actually bumped up margins. It's like a almost record level in the, in the recent history. And so that's been insane to watch as the average price comes down for them to hold and even increase those margins. And now I'm thinking, okay, we have FSD prices going up it's not like the model three and y are really going to get much cheaper like a lot of you know this new economies of scale and efficiencies without the average selling price dropping means we could have a huge incremental lever on margins and they've just been right. like they were sandbagging model y production the other thing they were sandbagging maybe even more was model y margins no and that, that's that's a critical point i think tesla is going to and in fact they stated this on the the most recent um 10q filing is that uh their goal is to increase the affordability of their cars so that's why, in my view, in the long run, I don't see um, Tesla's operating margin or you know, gross margins really expanding all that much. Um, I see them using any gains in gross margins to offset with price cuts. Um, and for, that's why, you know, but for hardware, maybe not with software, though, because I feel like correct, correct. FSD doesn't jive with yeah. that, right? So how does that all that's work? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. I think FSD won't ever see a price drop. It's going to only increase over time as they get closer and closer, you know, to to, to full autonomy. Um, but I think what Tesla's strategy is going to be is to use these efficiency gains as well as margin gains coming from FSD revenue recognition to continuously pressure uh, the average selling price down, um, because Tesla, I think, wants to be a and it's consistent with their mission, right? Their mission is not to sell super high-end luxury cars to you know, the 1%. Um, they want to become ubiquitous. And in order to do that, they need to continue to push that average selling price down. So I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think that gross margins will remain fluctuating somewhere between you know, 22 to 20, I don't know, at the high end, maybe 28% in the short run. Um, but we're gonna see, um, gross margins stay in that range, but gross profit in dollar terms going to continue to rise dramatically, uh, you know, exponentially really, um, because they're going to continue to put price pressures on the hardware that they're selling, meaning but, but, the cars themselves. Yeah. And that's fascinating points there. And I guess what I'm, what I'm really curious about is like, okay, well that drop of $40,000 cheapest model three or Y to $25,000 model two, which is the next you know, cheapest hardware you're saying, in that two-year time frame, I believe the price of FSD could go up 15 grand. So the hardware is going right. to drop 15 grand, but the FSD is going to go up 15 grand. And yet Tesla's cost of production of that same $40,000 asset is maybe you know, 20 grand versus 34 grand. 
So now all of a sudden we just went from a structural, you know, because so much of it's software to a 50% margin from a 28% margin, which is where we were at last quarter. So I'm curious, you know, and this is what Elon Musk was hinting at so much on the conference call, like the entire margin structure, the whole entire way Tesla works is totally thrown out the window with FSD. So I'm curious, like, this is one thing I've personally been struggling so hard with is, okay, it's easy to kind of model out the vehicle business at this mid 20% gross margin, but I feel like we're not calculating in our true 2K FSD price hike with another true 2K FSD price hike with high attachment rates, with high uh, recognition as they roll out that functionality, like, you know what I mean? It feels like they're not gonna be able to drop the ASPs fast enough for the hardware to offset this rising FSD price. And we're going to get gross margin crank up into the thirties real quick, you know? Yeah. And see, and this is why I really wish Tesla would, um, you know, one day, at least in the short term, like sometime in the next year or so start to break out, um, FSD revenue and FSD, um, you know, uh, margins, Ooh. um, apart from the automotive business, because well, I think, yeah. How, how should they do that? Let's riff on that. Like if Tesla w- was to do that and break out FSD, cause I think you're, you might be onto something really big here. Um, how would they do it? What would that look like? Cause this could be a total structural way for wall street to think about and investors to think about the company as Tesla themselves thinks about how they monetize their own technology and assets is truly the Tesla network, this autonomous software. So they're going to, Right, so I love what you're going on, going with this. Yeah, the answer to your question most directly is if you look at how Amazon does it. Um, if you look at Amazon's quarterly uh, shareholder deck, they break out, um, you know, international uh, retail sales, um, U.S. retail sales, and AWS um, in both revenue terms as well as on operating profit terms. Um, so they, they kind of break that out and you can see directly that, you know, AWS is around, I think it's like around 12 to 14% in terms of total revenue, but it's a monstrous, you know, 50% of operating profit because of such, because of how high margin it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's going to be a similar case as we go forward here. Um, you know, now that FSD, you know, the, the new, um, rewrite is out. Um, if it really gets a lot better, I see that becoming a major component of operating profit, but still a very small component of total revenue. Um, so, but because it's such a different animal from the hardware that they sell, I, I really think, and I really hope Tesla one day does break it out because there's going to be an important, um, you know, trend to make sure that people understand, which is that margins at the operating profit level are not only going to go up because of AWS, but because of increasing efficiency in their car design and their manufacturing process. And now with what we found out on battery day, um, you know, significantly decreasing production costs due to the new cell, the 48, the 4680 cell, and in how much or how much less CapEx is going to be required, you know, per gigawatt hour of battery production that comes out of there. Um, so, you know, there's going to be simultaneous tailwinds from both, um, you know, operating profit from hardware sales, as well as operating profit from FSD. Um, so that's why I think people should know the difference between the two. And I really, really hope Tesla does start to break it out because I think it's going to show a lot. Um, and without that, unfortunately, we won't have any idea of how much of Tesla's operating efficiency is due to FSD versus due to increasing um, efficiency in manufacturing. Right. Because I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like what's 10,000 times 100,000? Because I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of like how big is it today every quarter? 
like how big is it of Tesla's operating income, right? It's like a billion. If 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 a hundred thousand cars got a 10k FSD package and we recognized it all in one quarter, that would be like a billion in profit, right? So yeah. I don't think we're that far away from that. You know what I mean? Like even with the current pricing, we scale up to 200 to 200k cars a quarter pretty soon. The attachment rate goes up a little. Soon they raise it to 12k. So we're a little more than a billion a quarter in basically hard cash flow from this software option. You know what I mean? So now I'm almost like wait. So you're telling me just out of all Tesla's business, we're worth 390 billion and we're almost at a billion a quarter run rate of this software like dividend. That's 4 billion a year. That's a one per, over a 1% yield on the current market cap of cash flow from just software FSD sales today. And they triple the price of that. And then they triple the number of units. You know, that 1% yield goes to 10% quickly. Like, you know, the, I, I, I've been thinking that I'm going insane because I think Tesla stock is still pretty cheap here. The more and more yeah. I'm like, I'm like, damn, I just totally drink the Kool-Aid here. But like when you start to play this out and you're like, okay, well, what are they going to do with the wiggle room? Are they going to keep dropping prices? Well, no one else is or keep raising margins. Like they're just, it's like Elon's the king in the castle here to decide with how to divert this excess like margin wiggle room. Yeah. And, and see, this is why I think it's really important to look at uh, the return on assets. And this is something I've been pounding um, for, for a couple of years now, which is that the biggest knock on investing in autos um, in general, auto manufacturers or any type of hardware manufacturers in general is the capital intensity of the business itself. So why do, why do auto companies trade at such low valuation multiples like GM, Ford, uh, Volkswagen, Toyota, they all trade at under 10 times earnings. Um, and the reason why that is, is not just because they don't grow all that fast. Because keep in mind, um, Tesla has phenomenal growth runway ahead of it, but ultimately no company can continue to grow at an above average rate forever, right? At some point you reach saturation and at that point, um, shares will then ultimately trade down to the industry average. And this has happened across yeah, the board. Our for growth all rate will, will have to compress to that of humanities essentially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the fastest you can possibly grow in the long run, and I'm talking about the ultra long run is the rate of global GDP. That's the fastest that you can possibly grow. If you, you know, are a ubiquitous car manufacturer and you've entered every market on the globe and you know, now you're just simply refreshing your cars every, every year or so, then the fastest you can possibly grow revenue is at the rate of global GDP. So, so at that point, so why I think I never go with this. So I'm, I'm like to play devil's advocate. So why were all the automakers in the world valued at 500 billion of this opportunity at maturity? And yet Tesla's already worth basically 500 billion, you know, just I'm super rough numbers here, basically saying that they would already be at maturity dominating the whole industry. Right. And so and that's the, what the skeptics yes. and shorts would say. But yeah. there's a there's a whole caveat there, which is your point of the capex, right? Exactly. So there's there's two things that influence valuation multiples today. Right. One is growth rate. And so that's why you have to look at valuation relative to your growth rate. But also in the long run, it's not just the growth rate, because as I just as we just said, you know, growth rate will, will ultimately converge down to, you know, the global GDP growth rate. So at that point, the factor that becomes the most important for investors is efficiency. Um, and that's why Toyota, for example, is the, the biggest automaker in terms of, you know, I mean, before Tesla you know, before Tesla overtook them. Prior to Tesla overtaking Toyota, Toyota was the biggest auto, you know, manufacturer by market cap. Um, even though they sell less vehicles than, than Volkswagen. Um, and that's because Toyota has been the most efficient automaker on the planet. They have the best return on assets.
So it's efficiency that ultimately you know, drives valuation in the super long run, even if you don't have very, very high growth rates. And you can see that for many other companies like Coke, for example, Coca-Cola, they don't exactly have, you know, you know, eye-popping revenue growth, but they still trade at a premium to consumer staples. Same thing with Procter and Gamble. They don't have, you know, they, they're not going to rock anyone's socks off with their growth rate, but they trade at a premium to the sector that they belong to. Why? Because they have above average efficiency on their asset utilization. So the reason why people are so excited about Tesla is but, not but, just the growth yeah. rate. But those companies, I would say, have increased it like ROI because of like some BS brand value that they built 30 years ago and are still leveraging these legacy distribution partnerships for, as opposed to like Tesla's like rapid growth and like technological moat, as opposed to like some lame process, like legacy systems moat that those companies have. That's why I'm like, almost it's like, it is a good analogy on the, on the paper financials, but when you're diving into why, like Tesla's premium is even more justified because it's not just a label that's a brand. It's actually like super technology under the hood. And what's Tesla's almost unparalleled is because they're defying the norms of high ROIC with the high growth rate at the same time. It's almost mm -hmm. like that's, it's, you know, and that was kind of why I wanted to have you on too. It's like, isn't this like a once in a lifetime business case study of like what other company, it's like they're breaking all the rules pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think that uh, the reason why Tesla has overtaken Toyota is because of the growth rate that we're seeing right now. But also because if you look at this other chart that I, um, that I put together with regards to um, the uh, return on assets and the way that I define return on assets is basically looking at trailing four quarters of EBIT um, divided by total or uh, divided by the average asset base over the last four quarters. So it's, you know, trailing 12 month EBIT divided by the average total assets. And why is and this an, see, such an important metric or the best way to gauge it? Um, because it's telling us how efficiently is Tesla utilizing their asset base, right? For example, let's say you have two companies. They both are doubling revenue each year, year in and year out, which is awesome, right? But what if one company uh, requires CapEx spending of a hundred you know, million dollars and the other company requires only $50 million of CapEx spending to achieve the same growth rate, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's always going to be the one that requires less capital to achieve that growth that's going to get the better valuation because it doesn't say it takes so much money to achieve that growth rate. Okay, gotcha. And I'm curious why average total assets is the number there that you're using to basically see the kind of like debt load overall, sort of. Um, because uh, the, the, the trailing four quarters of EBIT is achieved over the past four quarters. And so since asset, you know, as, the asset base changes each and every quarter, because we know that, you know, Tesla continues to spend on CapEx every quarter, right? As they continue to build out, you know, Gigafactory Shanghai, as they start to recognize uh, CapEx. So we're basically adjusting the EBIT for the amount of robots they bought and the amount of factories Correct. they built to be like, okay, yep. well, if you had twice as many assets that on your balance sheet, which are factory assets, to pump out, but we pumped out four times as much EBIT than like our asset, you know, and that's kind of what you're tracking there with this number. Exactly. Right. Yep. Exactly. Because your, your um, revenue as well as your operating profit depends on the total assets that you have. Right. So for example, like as Tesla just, you know, announced, you know, another, you know, billion or so in CapEx this quarter in Q3 2020, um, you know, that's CapEx that hits the cash flow statement today. But 
as you know, investments come before the resulting revenue that, that, you know, that's associated with it and therefore the operating profit. So the CapEx will be counted today, but if you don't count the average base over time, you know, then what you're doing is that you're front running, you know, the, the, um, the resulting operating profit that comes because obviously investments happen today, but the results of that investment take about a year or so to get, you know, to actually materialize. Um, and in Tesla's case, it actually happens even quicker. So you have to use the average asset base, um, not just the most current um, asset base to make it a little bit more, um, you know, uh, you know, a little bit more analytically relevant. Gotcha. And so what are so, we looking at here? Tesla went positive. So yeah, Tesla. So the, the key takeaway here is not just the fact that Tesla is now, um, you know, solidly positive, almost at a 5% um, return on assets level. But even more important is the rate of change that we've been seeing. We saw that they went from basically last place among, you know, global automakers in terms of return on assets because they were unprofitable, you know, for, you know, since inception, they've been an un unprofitable company at the EBIT level and even at the gap net income level, even, even greater. But we see that over the last several years, they have really leveraged that operating scale um, so that they can flip the entire business from losses to profitability. Um, and if you see in the next slide, um, I actually did one thing, which is to adjust out the, um, the EBIT um, so that we see that before uh, the recognition of regulatory credits. Wow. So Could this you assume is 100% gross too. margin for those and just back out the revenue? Um, yeah. So I just took, exactly. I just took EBIT and subtracted out um, the total credit revenue that they, rec that they recognized over this, over this entire time period of this chart. Um, so it's basically EBIT trailing 12 months minus the credits that they recognized over the same trailing 12-month period. Dude, this, is, this is amazing homework. The fact that we got to put this on the channel and we got to put this out, it makes me so happy, dude. Thank you for doing this work. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like, you know, we hear, and I think it's a, a valid criticism um, from the, the short sellers is that, you know, Tesla, you know, recognizes tons and tons of credits and that's how they've achieved, you know, profitability. But um, and it's, it's true to a certain you know, extent, right? Because if we just saw the previous slide, we saw that you know, return on assets was about 5%. And now if we back out the credits, it's something a lot lower. It's, a, it's around 1.2% or so um, on you know, the current return on assets. Um, however, the more important point or the takeaway here is the rate of change. We've seen a dramatic improvement in the underlying business, um, even if you back out those regulatory credits. And so if you continue to think that Tesla will continue to grow uh, deliveries, um, will continue to access new markets, will continue to push down production costs, then um, you know, I think that this number, even before regulatory credits are recognized, is going to continue to rise up. And so that's why what I did is I compared on the next chart, I compared how Tesla is doing currently, even before the regulatory credits, versus Toyota, which is the industry leader in terms of operating efficiency. And you can see how these two have been dramatically wow. Um Now, I will say that, you know, Toyota is down this year because of the COVID disruption, whereas Tesla is up. Um, it's a little bit, I guess it's a little bit deceiving to think about because Tesla is starting from such a low base that it's not that hard. Um, I mean, it's definitely not to take away from what they're, what they've accomplished, but since they're starting from such a low base, it's not hard to grow um, EBIT 
if we just simply increase a little bit more in terms of deliveries. But you can see that again, the rate of change is what's most important. And I think Tesla is going to overtake, it's inevitable at this point that they're gonna overtake Toyota in terms of that return on assets number. So again, this to me is the most important number to understand how efficiently is Tesla utilizing their assets? You know, what is the, in other words, what is the internal rate of return that Tesla is generating per dollar of total investments? Okay, so, and that investment is net of all CapEx. It's net of any spending that they do. It's net of any, even capital raises, for example. So that's another point. You can see that Tesla grows this quarter in terms of return on assets. But keep in mind what goes into assets, right? What is it? It's CapEx, right? It's any purchases of plant property and equipment. It's all the purchases of, of land that they've been doing in Berlin as well as in Texas. Um, and it's also the capital raise that they just did. So this is why this number is so important because it's the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate number to show us what is Tesla earning on all of the capital that they've ever raised, plus all of the capital that they ever generate internally. So this is that number. This is, to me, the most important number to, to look at any business. Um, in addition to the growth rate, um, this is the second metric that I look at is the return on assets. How efficiently are they generating returns per dollar of total assets? And that wow. includes any money that they raise from the debt markets, that it includes any money that they raise from the equity markets, that includes any money that they raise internally through their own free cash flow. Um, and really those three things right there. And so that's basically the return on assets that I think is so, so important to make sure and to, to you know, to track. So again, and this so is another reason why I think that, that Tesla stock has surpassed Toyota is not just in growth rates, but also in increasing efficiency. And I think it's going to supplant uh, Toyota to become the number one efficient automaker on the planet um, as far as you know mass manufacturers are concerned yeah so and that's kind of where I wanted to go is where does this go from here you know where is an apple at let's 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 move on from automakers into like really world-changing technology companies what about like a Facebook you know a, a Salesforce or like you know some SaaS company like where because I feel like that's where Tesla's going to get with FSD and with all this stuff. Like we're still early in the days. Like you said, all those purchases they're making, like Tesla's still in crazy growth mode. They're 12 startups at once. Almost none of their startups are at maturity. So therefore their return on invested capital, all that stuff is nowhere near maturity as well. And so, yeah, where does this go from here? Because I feel like beating the automakers is kind of a shoe in at this point and going to be a cakewalk. Now it's like, okay, well, how far high, how much further past that do we go? Exactly. And that's, and I think that's the main reason why there's so much investor enthusiasm behind Tesla is because they see the trajectory of the fact that there is not only increasing efficiency in car design. And so that's why I actually have a couple of slides that just talks about how they are going to continue um, to increase their asset efficiency, right? Um, the first and foremost thing is on the hardware side, right? And that's basically simplifying car design. Um, as well as, uh, you know, improving the manufacturing process. So, you know, Elon and, and Drew Faglino uh, talked about this on Battery Day, is that, you know, with this new cell that they have introduced, the 4680 cell, it's going to take dramatically less capital investments 
to achieve the same, uh, you know, per, per gigawatt hour growth of battery output compared to what they're doing right now in uh, Gigafactory Nevada. So Ooh, um, I, I have some questions on that because did you see yeah. Elon's, uh, my video about their new CapEx guidance where they up their CapEx guidance to 4.5 to 6 bill. I'm sure you saw that. Um, yeah. But, and then I put out a whole video about how incredible their CapEx spend is per unit of vehicle production to what it used to be at Elon's, Elon Musk replied and is like, well, our CapEx was trash back then. But then yeah. I, it's kind of like, bro, it was trash back then, but now it's incredibly good. Like if the middle was here, it used to be trash. Now you're like way better than the norm. And I, you know, I, I'd love to dissect this with you because I've been so curious about, okay, we're building cars. That's a massive unit of CapEx per vehicle output. If we're going to build the batteries for those cars, that's another massive chunk of CapEx per vehicle that we're vertically integrating that's now in-house. Cathode production, mining, we're moving so far down the chain of in fear of theoretical value of the car being built, theoretical value of CapEx going so much further up, but yet the numbers on paper, it's like, man, Tesla's putting in, it's like they're putting in half as much CapEx as they should for all the products they're working. So the only way to explain that is pace of innovation at manufacturing level is that the claims at Battery Day are actually, you know, not too good to be true and they will have a mega reduction in, you know, CapEx per terawatt hour, of, you know. Um, so I'm really curious what you kind of made of that because I was expecting them to have to shell way more to take battery production in-house and the fact they did cathode too and mining, although those are very small, you know, you see where I'm going with this, but- um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And see, Elon that's, was that's being humble. Point. That was my point is when he said they were trash before and he's like downplaying how dope they are at it. Yeah. And I think there's, yeah, that's definitely true. I think there were a lot of growing, there, there were a lot of growing pains during the initial Model 3 ramp. And we can see that in the uh, in, in in their free cash flow, um, but also the return on that on that capex. So another ratio you can look at is um, you know simply um, operating cash flow, you know relative to total uh, you know capex, and it hit a low in 2017. And so that's exactly what Elon was basically referring to is the capex efficiency was was trash you know in 2017. Um, and it was a it was a it was a pretty dark time in in, in Tesla's history. Yeah. Um, not as dark as maybe two thousand eight, but still probably the second darkest time. Um, but you know they they just you know they've just dramatically turned it around, and I think that's that's the key takeaway there. So yeah, if you look at the ratio of operating cash flow to total investments, right, total capex. And by the way, um, just a side note for super you know financial nerds, um, not uh, yeah all capex. Not all CapEx is actually recorded on the cash flow statement. So if you look at their 10Q, for example, and if you go to the cash flow statement, I actually have a slide there uh, that just shows that, um, you know, Maybe. on average, about only about two thirds of their total CapEx is actually recognized on the cash flow from investing activities section of the cash flow statement. You can see that, you know, year to date, they've only spent about $2 billion in CapEx. Um, where if you recall going back to the, you know, 10 K, um, you know, filed in for 2019, the CapEx guide for 2020, or I think it was a, for a couple of years, they were saying it's going to be somewhere between 2.5 to 3.5 billion. Um, and year to date, you know, if you just go by what's reported on the cash flow statement, they've only spent about 2 billion. So they're still below, you know, they're still below the low end of the guide, but that's not actually the case because, um, Tesla structures a lot of their capex in in the form of fine what the, you know what we call finance leases or mm -hmm. capital leases, 
And basically all that is, is it's just, just like a mortgage, right? If you buy a house on a mortgage, you just make fixed monthly payments on it. And a portion of your payment is interest. A portion of it is principal. Um, so it That's what kind of doing delays the recognition. What's that? Is that? Isn't that what they're doing in Shanghai? Is this what you're saying with like, they take on local debt for a factory and then they would basically, it wouldn't show up as CapEx necessarily and they're just paying it off? This exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's correct. Right. So that, it's, and it sounds um, like well, that's the model they are trying to take more places, but they start in Shanghai. I don't know. I'm curious if you probably know better than me. Well, I think the land, the land is structured as an operating lease, which is just simply like paying rent. Um, so that's, um, that's a little bit different. Um, but what they do with a lot of the machinery that they buy, a lot of the robotics that they have um, is that they, um, they purchase the, uh, these, these machines um, through uh, a, you know, essentially through a capital lease or, a, you know, you know, a finance lease. Um, so I don't know for sure, but like, for example, the, the, the stamping machine that there, that Elon has been talking about for model Y for the underbody of the model Y, I think that is going to be struck. It's, they, they, they were purchasing it from this one Italian engineering firm. Um, I think that is structured as a capital lease. Don't quote me on that, but I, I think that it is. But essentially what that means is that Tesla simply, instead of paying for everything up front, um, Tesla basically pays the supplier a fixed monthly payment. Um, and there's an embedded interest rate in that too. So they're paying a portion of it um, in principal and a portion of it in interest. So because that spending is delayed, you know, over the course of the, the term of that, that finance lease, um, it doesn't hit the cash flow statement immediately. So um, Tesla has this addendum, if you see at the bottom of that table there, where um, they disclose how much of um, you know, plant property and equipment, essentially CapEx, is structured as a capital lease or a finance lease, also known as a finance lease. So if you add that in there, then you know, it's you know, a total of $2.9 billion that they've spent and year to date. that's the 913 mil? That's exactly. the number that right. isn't in CapEx, but is basically CapEx. Correct, right. Exactly. It's basically CapEx. So that number goes into the balance sheet as a part of total debt that they have. So if you look at their balance sheet, um, you know, if you look at their current debt as well as the long-term debt, that's not just debt that they owe to bondholders, but it's also um, the present value of all of these capital leases that they have outstanding. So you can think of it just like debt. It essentially is debt, but it's just structured in a different way. And so when you gave us the, um, the Tesla unlevered free cash flow adjusted EBIT minus CapEx minus capital leases, you're essentially trying to take that into account as well. Or can you show us what this number is? Because I usually off the bat, I'm like, EBITDA, I hate that. Because like we should be taking into account DNA because like we spent the CapEx to get this EBIT. So let's have the, you know, we yeah, should exactly. be counting the so, DAW. Like, you know, so I hate EBITDA usually, but I'm like, I know there's a lot behind this number and the way you think about it. So. Yeah, so this, this unlevered free cash flow is another way to think about, um, you know, the growth of, of Tesla. Um, and the reason why I use adjusted EBITDA in the, in the starting point is because I still think that um, that is analytically the superior number for understanding Tesla's operating profit um, because of three factors. Um, one is Elon's bonus, right? So, you know, with that bonus that was passed in 20. Um, what was it, 2018? Um, I think that because of that above average stock-based compensation expense, 
Um, if you are overly focused on gap net income, then you're going to consistently under appreciate um, Tesla's true underlying operating profitability. But there's an under, there's a friction to that underlying profitability, which is the cost for that incredible CEO, which is Elon, which is amortized in that stock comp, which is why it would be a justified expense, in my opinion would be like, yeah, like, okay, it's not the core business, but it kind of is because the core business wouldn't have crushed it. We didn't have Elon and we had to give him the stock package. So yeah, we should kind of. That's right? true. That is true. And that's a valid point. And that's why it's included as a part of GAP. But um, it, what it does is that it distorts what Tesla is fundamentally doing. So yeah, I agree that, you know, ultimately you have to have positive and growing GAP net income in the long run. Um, but for analytical purposes, right? If you are just focused on gap net income, then you'll miss what's actually happening under, you know, under that layer of, you know, a short-term above average expense, right? Yeah. Because there's a so lot of fascinating, uh, like, like things to unpack there of almost like Elon should have a key man risk because now we're like literally like mathematically showing his value almost to the the way it's like Tesla's like, okay, they're like industry average, but they're actually super profitable, but we're baking in like this extra CEO stock comp for a genius CEO. That's really what's happening with the cut. You know, it's like, I yeah, love exactly. nerding out on this, by the way, this, cause this is yeah. so fascinating. Like, you know, Tesla's so unique in many ways. That's why I think yeah. almost every company is so unique. That's kind of my theory is like comps or BS. Like every company, when you get down to it is so unique. Um, especially Tesla. Like it's just, you know, the, the CEO stock comp, the tie-in, all that. Anyway, I, I didn't want to yeah. get us too sidetracked there about the free capital. And just numbers. a side point to that too, is that if you're, mm -hmm. again, like I think, see, one of the, the investors that I, that I follow very closely is Bill Miller, um, who uh, heads up uh, Miller Value Partners. It's a, you know, hedge fund slash, you know, long-term investment management. He's kind of like another Ron Barron, you know, so he's, he's a phenomenal investor. And he actually understood Amazon very early on. Um, and he basically has said in multiple interviews that I just don't place too much emphasis on gap earnings. Um, because if you do so, you're going to miss other things that are happening under that, under the scenes or behind the scenes on that. So if you look at a chart of Amazon, it's had exponential you know, growth in the stock price. But if you look at that relative to their gap earnings, it's been like, you know, it's constantly confused people into thinking that the stock is dramatically over, overvalued. Dude, you got but me so hyped. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, but, but if you look at EBITDA, for example, on Amazon, that tells you a different picture. So, and by the way, even as recently as 2015, um, which is not that long ago, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not as if, you know, Amazon was a brand new company in 2015, but, you know, 20 years into their existence in 2015, um, they reported a gap loss on an annualized basis too, not just for a quarter, but wow. for a full year. Um, so if you're looking at gap, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna miss too many things that are happening. And so I think it's sometimes important to look at other factors that are slightly above the gap in net income line, such as EBITDA, such as operating cash flow, even free yeah. cash flow. Operating cash flow, that is the first line that is in Amazon, every Amazon press release. And if you look at the operating cash flow and kind of adjust for Whole Foods and stuff like that, that is almost perfectly predicted the stock price is like gross profit and you know operating cash flow multiples. And you can see just like a formula, the stock is following the increases in those metrics, which is so fascinating. And I love, uh, so that's why I'm like, I did the whole Elon Musk, you know, playing devil's advocate with you for Gap, but I hate Gap, you know what I mean? Like I'm also the guy who's like, look at Amazon, like 
like the gap isn't doing justice to have the true core intrinsic earnings power of this asset, which is the same for Tesla. And with Tesla is so fascinating is Amazon. Okay. But I love the comparison in the early days of like, well, Amazon reached free cash flow profitability faster than Tesla or sooner than Tesla or Tesla's free cash flow is worse. And I'm like, that's because what they're doing is 10 times harder than putting books in a warehouse that you don't have to do anything with. They actually have robots in the warehouse that are building things instead of just piling up books there. Of course, the, yeah. the cyclical cash flow profile is like a much bigger dip at the beginning for each factory and each thing, but it's going to be much more. And I th I'd say the moat stronger. It's going to take long to replicate. Like this is just, you know, in many ways, this is a lot more similar to Apple with the retail consumer side of it and Amazon with the CapEx investor story, you know, invest every dollar free cash flow into growth side of it. This is an Apple, Amazon-esque strategy play much more than it is any automaker is when you exactly. look at the cash flow and really unpack this. And so that's why I love this asset and this chart that you showed here is because you're basically replicating the first line of Amazon's press release, which is the adjusted true sort of operating cash flow of the business, which is what, if I'm right, you're trying to show us here. So if almost like, if I'm pitching Martin and Tesla, I'm like, yo, you know, if we're trying to really scheme a la Amazon here and readjust what is the first metric of our quarterly press release, is it this metric right here? Mm -hmm. Meyer would say, yeah, probably, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And but really, let, let me back up a little bit. The yeah. idea of this, though, is just in the short term. I, I don't actually mean this to be the ultimate number, starting okay. with the just EBITDA. The only reason why I'm showing this now is because of, you know, those three factors, right, that's I, that I believe is going to be um, artificially depressing uh, earnings. One is the above average stock based compensation that's, you know, attributable to Elon's bonus structure but also um, because of above average capital, capital spending that we're going to see in the coming years, which increases the depreciation that we're going to see on the income statement coming in as well. So um, one thing that EBITDA does is it tells you what the operating profit is before the effect of all of the high-end um, you know, capital investing that the company is doing. So, for example, if you are focused on gap earnings, then you're going to, you know, in my view, incorrectly penalize companies that are radically investing in their own business, that are investing for growth, right? So, if for a company that's investing a lot in CapEx, it's going to come up on the income statement as lower income or lower profit because of the fact that they are recognizing higher depreciation expense. So adjusted EBITDA helps adjust for that as well to understand, you know, what is the growth and profitability assuming or ignoring the expense that's coming from depreciation of all of that spending. So again, it adjusts for that too. So it kind of presents a smoothed out version of profitability that you can use to compare, you know, one company to another. I have a question. Yeah. Um, with cyclically low super interest, like super low cyclical interest rates is now almost a unique time in history where mathematically it actually makes way more sense for a longer term investor to go basically all in on, with your cash flow to invest in crazy projects. It's almost a red flag if in this low interest and rate environment, you're holding cash flow back and, you know, buying back stock and letting it pile up on the balance sheets. Like you really don't have anything to invest in, especially with this low of a hurdle rate. Um, so I'm wondering if that timing of interest rates you know, is kind of putting us in a unique era of like the Amazons and Teslas, like mathematically and strategically because of the interest rates, this is the time to do that kind of cash flow strategy. Yeah, I think so. But unfortunately, not everybody knows or has an idea of what, you know, high return projects to chase, you know. So, you know, not everybody actually has that expertise or that wherewithal or that savviness to do that. 
Um, and that's why we see, you know, not many auto companies are investing heavily in R&D or in CapEx for building out electric vehicles. Um, and it's kind of an another unfortunate thing is because of the pandemic, right? Everyone's profitability is down dramatically, except for Tesla. So usually what happens, and I think, you know, Kathy Wood actually talks about this pretty often, is that recessions actually accelerate innovation um, because everybody else is asleep at the wheel to keep their profitability up. So they find places to cut and, you know, growth projects are the first place that they cut. Dude. You know, for example, I, I yeah. rail on Exxon Mobil all the time. <laughs> Exxon Mobil is the worst. Like I, you know, I really think Exxon is actually going to be the first victim of the rise of, of Tesla and renewable energy in general. Oh, I, they, um, like they're going to go bankrupt, right? I, I think, I mean, I think they will I don't too. Know if they'll go bankrupt, but they, I, I think that they're going to be a fraction of the size that they once were. Um, Grammy, because, do you hear that? My grandma still has Exxon stock. I've been trying to get her to sell. I'm like, oh my God, you got to tell her to dump it. Right? I like mean, the dividends? So like, I'm like, dude, though. the dividends. Who, like, these are inflated dividends. They're going to, it's like a rug they're going to sweep out from under you. All these old people are like waiting for the dividends and they're just going to go, and then, yeah. you know, and it's like, so I'm really worried about that's like Procter and Gamble, Coca Cola. I think half the reason, not just brand value, those are inflated on all your metrics with a premium. Yeah. Because that dividend aristocrat kind of legacy shareholder base. But, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Exxon is spending more on dividends than they generate in free cash flow. Like, how is that not a red flag? Their dividends keep going up and their cash flow is off a cliff. It's like, bro, like we did, this just can't continue. Like it's not rocket science and, here. Like what's their payout the ratio? Worst, like, you know? Exactly. And the, and the worst thing about it is that they're actually spending because dividends exceed free cash flow. The only way you can make up for it without depleting your cash balance is to raise more debt. And that's exactly what they've been doing. They've been issuing debt to, to find the dividend, dividend kind of yeah dude right. it's like like you think about that as a shareholder and you're like dude this is so moronic like you know and, th and then they're, they're going to tell you that tesla is a risky investment and exxon's not if you go to business school up until exxon implodes that's going to be the you know nobody's going to tell you that five years from now at how how insane you were for saying i put all my money into tesla not the dividend exxon you know when in my business school it's like so it just to me, this is a fascinating example of the, a microcosm of the whole way the financial media works. It's all the rearview mirror. It's all what happened. It's all these people saying they were super smart, like analyzing something that did happen. Nobody's got the actual foresight and kind of like bravery and courage to actually put their nose out and say where the future is going. And that's why I give you so much props is because you and me were over here like banging the table on Tesla before the charts look good. You know what I mean? Now that now it's yeah. easy for you to do your job because the charts are looking amazing every quarter. But to me, what is amazing about your analysis and why we clicked like so long ago is because we're saying that like, you know, it's not easy to say Tesla is going to be the most profitable, break every rule, grow super fast, have super high margins at the same time company when none of the evidence is there and the cash flow is a billion negative each quarter during the Model 3 ramp. Like that is, that's where, that's how you get alpha is by, yeah. is by sit, you know, so I don't know. I'm kind of, maybe this is a good moment to take a step back and like on your reminiscing of, of you, you've been here, started from the bottom when Tesla was losing all their billions and investing in it. You know, what have you kind of learned from that? I mean, I, I learned that, you know, I don't think it's important to constantly look at, you know, cash burn or gap net income. So it depends on why. I think that the more important question is why, like, why are they burning cash or why are they uh, losing money at the gap net income level? Um, if you see a company that's investing heavily in growth, um, then I think gap net income is an irrelevant metric. And we've seen that through the example of Amazon, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. 
um, where they were so heavily focused on growth that they didn't care that they were showing negative earnings per share. Um, and again, like I said, even as recently as 2015, Amazon was not some new startup in 2015, right? But even as recently as 2015, they showed a gap loss. But if you look at the financials, you understand why they've been doing that. And that's because they were bringing AWS to market. So they were spending, you know, billions and billions of dollars in R&D to build the best cloud computing, you know, service that, you know, exists out there. And now we see the result of that. So the investments always hit the P&L first. And then we see the resulting, uh, you know, scale, uh, or we see the resulting profitability through scale. So that's why when I was looking at, you know, Tesla financials, you know, three years ago, and we saw nothing but red ink everywhere, I saw that, okay, well, what's the most important thing to focus on, which is at that point, revenue growth, right? Revenue to me signifies what's the level of market demand for the products. Yeah. Do people love the products? Is yeah. there value being created from these products and services? Um, is there a network effect, right? Do people that buy the product recommend the product to others? And to me, Tesla was checking off all of those boxes. And then if you look further, you can see that they were heavily investing in Model 3 production capacity, which is a more you know, mass market vehicle compared to the Model S. So why would you hold that against Tesla because they're losing money on investing in products that will make them more ubiquitous than they currently are? Yep. And, and so, even though we say yeah. the CapEx was trash, $4 billion in CapEx for a vehicle program with a Model 3 that does what, 10, 12, 14, 15 million in revenue per year? Like, even that's not even that, you know? I, I always thought the analogy was so simple. It's like, what's Tesla doing now buying all the robots to build all the cars? You know, we can't build a gazillion cars if we don't have the biggest factory state of the art with all the fanciest new robots in the world to pump them out. And guess what? You know, all these people who are like, look how much money Tesla's burning. I'm like, have you ever tried to build a car factory? Like plan it out. Step one, get a really big lease. That costs a lot of money. Step two, like go get like the stamping machine. Like, oh, and we need like a, a truck dock for all the aluminum to come in. And then we're going to stamp the aluminum. Actually, wait, we need a whole team of scientists to develop a new type of aluminum so we can stamp it cheaper. Like, and then we need to put, store all that aluminum on this thing. And then it's going to put a body line here where we need 10 more robots to put, you know, it's like, you actually start thinking about it. It's like, dude, they only, that only took two bill. Like that's nothing to actually, you know, it's like what you're saying. Like, why are they spending money? It's not like they're like, you know, like it's not like a boat that's sinking that they're trying to keep afloat. It's like one boat is perfectly afloat and they're building 50 new boats at once to expand. Right. You know, and it's, it was kind of that unpacking and yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately not enough people understand, um, you know, growth companies in that, in that regard. So that's why, you know, that's why for, for many years I've been focused on adjusted EBITDA. Um, and if you look at that number or even operating cash flow, for example, um, adjusted EBITDA and operating cash flow have a very high correlation to one another. Um, so if you looked at, instead of looking at gap net income for Tesla, if you looked at adjusted EBITDA or operating cash flow, that was telling you a different story. Um, because operating cash flow, just like adjusted EBITDA, adds back depreciation expense. It adds back stock-based comp. It adds back all of these other non-cash um, expenses that Tesla, you know, that hits the PNL. So once that's done, you can actually see with a lot more clarity what the underlying profitability of the company is adjusted for these types of things such as growth investments. Um, so, but now you can see that it went, it was, you know, massively negative in the red in 2017. Um, if you look at this, you know, this Tesla unlevered free cash flow chart. Mm -hmm. um, and that's again, what Elon was talking about that their CapEx efficiency was really, really bad 
2017 as they were investing in you know bringing model three online but you can see now that that entire model has flipped and is growing positively and this is actually adjusted for not only capex that i just mentioned on that's coming from the cash flow statement but also all of the capital leases too that they're using so this is total this is adjusted EBITDA net of total investments all of their spending that they're doing and that's positive as well and um, it's not only on unlevered free cash flow but it's even on levered free cash flow too so if you look at the traditional calculation of free cash flow which is operating cash flow minus capex and minus all these capital leases that they have even that number is positive now so it's literally a cash generating business at this point which I never thought that they would actually do at this stage. Um, my original financial model that I made uh, some three and a half years ago, I didn't expect them to do this until 2021. So Tesla is way ahead of my own expectations too in terms of free cash flow generation ability. Um, but you know, going back to it, you know, growth again is is really great. Growth is sexy. That's what generates all the headlines. But efficiency is what ultimately reigns, you know, supreme. How much are they generating in profit? How much are they generating in cash flow? How much are they generating in free cash flow per dollar of total investments? Right. And that's what I use assets to, to, to measure. That is the true internal rate of return that a company is compounding its capital at. Um, so how does that continue going forward? Right. We, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, Tesla has disclosed this multiple times through their various different shareholder you know, decks that they've put out. Um, but we can see that, for example, um, on, on this slide, uh, slide number 24, um, you know, they've radically redesigned the, uh, the model Y such that it has, it's going from basically 70 pieces, right? The model three to just two pieces on the rear underbody. And it's eventually gonna be just one. So that is a dramatic simplification of the structure, the body in white, the structure of the, uh, you know, of the actual car itself to reduce the amount of capex that's needed to make these cars. Um, and now we talk about, you know, now Elon's super excited about this diecast machine. You know, I think that's going to dramatically improve labor efficiency too. So, like, you know, how many people does it take to build each car? That number is going down and down and down. So again, that goes to efficiency again. How much money does Tesla need to spend to produce each car? And you know, in another shareholder letter, they kind of showed that graphically. Um, they didn't show us the y-axis. If you're, you know, if you're wondering why there's no y-axis there, um, this is slide number twenty-three. But um, you know, they didn't actually show that because I don't think Tesla really wanted to dis disclose exactly how much it is per, car, you know, capex per car. Um, you can see just relative to each other, you know, model three in Shanghai is about half, you know, the total capex needed per unit of capacity and mm. model Y produced in the US is some, somewhere just, you know, slightly above that, but still dramatically less than the total cost of the model three. Yeah. And, and I love your other side. Yeah. Your other slide. I'm, I'm going kind of fast here. Cause we're, I feel like we're almost out of time, but this, uh, the, the factory layout of Fremont, this like super old school, like piece of crap that we bought from GM and had to retrofit to like designing it from scratch in Shanghai and just the way that's ramped and just proved every skeptic and hater wrong. Um, and just 
in some ways I love the simplicity of how complex this story is. And then it's like, oh, why is Tesla so much better? It's CapEx. Like instead of the factory being like laid out and just a mess, we just laid it out in a straight line like this. And that actually just like saved us a whole bunch of time and money. Or like the exactly. tab, the tabless electrode, like instead of having this tiny wire, it was just like all a bunch of wires and we just, you know, and that made it so much simpler. So it's like, there's so, there's so much that goes into it, but in some ways I love those kind of analogies. And they, I, I had forgotten about this. I feel like this is the one of the things we all talked about when Shanghai was ramping, the CapEx came in that was incredible. We all forgot why. I already forgot this slide. That's why I was like, ooh, when, when you showed it. Uh, but I think this yeah, is exactly, another one. Yeah. Uh, and what they're going to do in Austin, dude, the crown jewel of Tesla, literally the world's dopest factory I think Elon, I mean, I am so excited for what they, what they got up their sleeve in Austin. That's going to be, that's going to be insane. Okay. So we're Tesla investors all said and done. How would you fairly test value Tesla stock today? Because we have the rapidly growing vehicle business. I would say that's grown, frankly, far more profitable than we would have expected. The FSD pricing power um, is growing far more faster than I expected. And the timing is frankly far more faster than I expected. Like I know it's like late, late by Elon time, but it's way ahead of what I was expecting. You know, mm -hmm. and so, and then we have solar roof really finding your mega pack. Like I'm really thinking Tesla at 390, 400 billion is actually, you know, yeah, we missed that 10 bagger pop or actually not, we didn't miss the 10 bagger pop. We've been in it, but you know, is it going to easily 10 bagger pop again? No, but do I see a structural like 40 to 50% IRR CAGR for the next decade still from here to a $5 trillion company? Yes. And that's why I frankly think as big cap tech goes, Tesla's the new blue chip iconic. It might take another year for people to realize that where it goes up another 50%, but um, that's where I think it is. You know, the product market fit took them 15 years to get there for the EV industry. And now it's, they've gone zero to one, it's one to N. And we're going to go to 200 billion in revenue, just like that from scale without any competition, basically. Um, maybe let's call it 150 before FSD kicks in. And it's like, yeah, this is pretty going to quickly going to justify. And then you, you do the free cash flow numbers you know, the return on assets, the billion dollar FSD a quarter calculation. I'm like, you know, this 1% yield, 2% yield of free cash flow that's growing like crazy in this interest rate environment for, and the relative valuations of every other company, you know, where do I want to keep my money as US as a, just a human on earth, like Tesla equity. So I don't know, this is kind of my long winded, very high level way of saying like, because Tesla has executed the intrinsic value of the business has gone up so much, I'm actually still thinking like it's very fairly priced at today's levels. Um, despite the equity rise. Like I think just the business has increased in value that much. Um, and so that's kind of how I think about it. But I would re be really curious to think about how do you get to a fair value of Tesla today and think about that valuation question. No, it's, it's a great question. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you that Tesla is relatively fairly valued right now until we know a little bit more about um, how much FSD is going to truly contribute to operating profit and net profit. Um, for Tesla. So um, again, one of the reasons why Tesla traded such a, uh, you know, such a massive valuation multiple relative to other auto stocks is that there is a combination of growth that's being priced in as well as that asset efficiency. Um, again, that's, that can be attributable to better design. It could be attributable to, um, you know, better manufacturing technique, and it can be attributable to rising share of FSD of you know total operating profit too, so um, and I'm I'm a little bit you know I'm a little bit uh, still skeptical of the timeline for robo taxis. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, but that that's not to say that FSD is not going to contribute meaningfully to profit um, and therefore return on assets um, because there's still a lot of utility in having FSD, right? So that there's still the individual will still benefit 
um, you know, well, you know, a lot from having the, the features of FSD on their cars. So there is enough, enough incentive for people to continue to buy it. And as yeah, it and they're raising the prices. I, yeah, I don't think the take rate's going down. Like they've been raising prices. I think the take rate's yeah. probably staying flat. Like this is a true, like this, the incremental gross margin expansion from FSD, we do not need full autonomy. It's already yeah. underway. It's just all incremental gross margin expansion till FSD. And I think the market right. is like, oh, well, what was the one time, you know, FSD revenue recognition this quarter? It's like, bro, you are, I, this is such the wrong way to think about that line item. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and see, this is why I really wish, and if you, if you talk to Martin or if Martin, if you're watching, shout out to you, but uh, um, if you, you know, really, really hope you guys consider um, breaking out FSD from automotive sales because, you know, software is such a different animal from manufacturing. Um, even though the two are related, right? You can't buy FSD without buying the car. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be important for investors uh, to understand that there are gains coming from operating profit due to not only FSD, but due to all the slides that we just saw in terms of manufacturing efficiency and simplification of car design um, that I think it's going to go underappreciated if we don't really understand that you know where the operating profit is truly coming from wow. so and that um, would be truly the start of tesla being understood as the computer on wheels company in my opinion exactly is when yeah, we exactly. truly acknowledge this massive and not going away piece of the software business software business yeah yeah exactly um, because amazon does it right amazon breaks it out even though technically you can argue that aws is unrelated to the retail side of things um, but they still show it though, because it is a different animal entirely, right? It, 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 it requires an entirely different set of skills, um, and you know, different know-how from act from actually building the cars themselves. Right. So the team of engineers that designed the model Y and designed the Cybertruck and, and, and whatnot are completely unrelated to the team that's working on FSD. Right. Yeah. So I wish we saw that, but yeah, you know, I think that the trajectory that Tesla is on with achieving the industry best return on assets, um, but not just achieving just the best in terms of overtaking Toyota, but I think it's going to achieve more than 10%. Right now they're at 5%. Um, and despite the fact that they're going to be spending $6 billion every year for the next you know, two to three years, um, I think that the return on assets due to increased um, profit due to FSD as well as better design and less capex that's required to build these subsequent factories as well as you know the, the improvements that are coming from um, the 4680 cell I think Tesla will achieve 10% return on assets um, by the end of 2022 wow and if that happens then I think there's still a lot more upside to go with Tesla equity how much exactly, I can't tell you for sure, but I do think that if that happens, if we use Amazon as a comparison, then I think that there's another, there's a warranted for another doubling in the stock price, you know, by 2022. Wait, I kind of have a crazy moonshot. Would you ever work for ARC Research? I feel like ARC, you would crush it at ARC. Like, crush it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I certainly look up to those guys a lot. Um, I, I mean, I, I own ARC, uh, the shares, A-R-K-K. Um, that's another big part of my portfolio. So I think, you know, what Kathy Wood has built is, is phenomenal. And I really like the way that she thinks, right? She doesn't, you know, she's not focused on the traditional 
business school metrics that people like to look for. Um, she thinks in terms of, you know, what companies are going to thrive by creating value and addressing big problems. Like you, like you always say on your channel, the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. Yep. Right. And if you focus on companies that are basically thinking like that, then um, that's, I think, where the true alpha is created because these companies are so misunderstood. Like we know, like we knew from Tesla, the entire experience that we've had from Tesla, it's been dramatically under misunderstood. You know, it's had, you know, incredible, um, you know, presence of short sellers that, you know, were pushing it down. And, you know, even, you know, in 2019, I remember listening to Adam Jonas's conference call, right? He had this emergency conference call where with, with all of Morgan Stanley investors, and he basically called Tesla a distressed equity story, right? And I was listening to that, and, I, and here I am with like, you know, 80% of my, of my net worth tied into Tesla. And I'm listening to this, you know, respected analyst talking about Tesla becoming a restructuring story, which means that they're going to have to restructure their debt, which is never a good sign. That's, that's a sign of impending yeah. bankruptcy. But I think it's because people were not focused on the right metrics. Right. People were not focused on EBITDA, for example. Or too focused on the metrics almost at a point in the company when you really should have just been focused on the product is, I don't right. know, I come from that world of like, you know, we're diving so deep into the numbers, but like, get your head out of the spreadsheet, like drive the car. It's amazing. This is the future. It's a startup. Let's give them more money. Like this is a no brainer from a VC yeah. mindset, you know? And so yeah. I feel like that kind of just like, you know, they couldn't get over, they couldn't use with their brains, like walk through every line of the cash flow thing without like, I don't know, having a heart attack, I guess, because it was so much red that that literally, you know, and I feel like Jonas was the same way. And so, you know, that's why it really frustrates me. They still let like Jonas and all those people on the conference call in some way, because it's like, you know, what is this? Like, uh, you know, like why, you know, why isn't this a conversation on the next conference call where it's like Elon, like, are we going to think about breaking out FSD revenue? That would be dope. Like, have you thought about that? Like, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one last point, by the way, um, and this is another thing that I think is going to contribute to Tesla increasing return on assets specifically over the next year. Um, and that is, is that although the new cell, the 4680 cell, is not going to achieve high volume in the short run, I think what, uh, what Elon said is that it's going to be able to produce enough new cells or incremental cells such that they can actually sell more cars. Because if you look at the most recent shareholder deck, right, for Q3, um, there's a little table that they include in there that tells you what the total production capacity is oh, today. Yeah. That's a very key table. Capacity there is. Yeah. And as of Q3, they have production capacity of 840,000 cars, 90,000 of which is Model S and X, and um, 750,000 is 3 and Y globally. But as we know, they're nowhere near producing as many cars right now. And even before Q3, it wasn't 840,000. I think it was like, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but it was around 700,000 cars. Um, but even with that, they, you know, Tesla is still nowhere near producing that many cars, even though they have installed capacity to build that many cars. And the real reason for that, or the primary reason, is the production bottleneck for batteries. Right? We don't have enough batteries to be able to produce this many cars. But we do have the robots in place to build those cars if we had the batteries to supply them, right? So what this is going to do wow. is even That's with even with ten gig, 
yeah, so even with 10 gigawatt hours, which is, I think, the guidance um, that, uh, that Drew gave, or it, it might have been Elon, you know, in terms of uh, production output from the Cato facility for the new 4680 cells, even with 10 gigawatt hours of production coming in over the next year, that's going to enable Tesla to sell that many more cars. And it's not going to take a whole lot of additional capex to do it because they already have, you know, installed capacity to build 840,000 cars. So what that means, in my view, is that that's going to be um, accretive to operating profit and therefore accretive to the return on assets that they do because they're not going to have to spend too much additional money to realize that additional output from the from the existing factories because it's already there, it's already spent, it's already installed, it's ready to go. It's just waiting for additional cells to be able to power these cars. Yeah, so it's almost like Tesla's, all the metrics aren't even as good as they should be in some ways, kind of what you're saying, because we're underutilizing our production lines, you know, economies of scale over that fixed, you know, asset base. Um, that is so exciting. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time. I feel like honored that you share all your data uh, with the hyperchangers and I got to like pick your brain on this because it's so much fun, like so epic. Um, so I don't know, do you have any final thoughts or shout outs? Uh, I'll put your Twitter below. People should definitely give you a follow. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Shout, shout out to, uh, to James Stevenson and uh, Eric Simon. So those are my you know buddies on, on Tesla Twitter. So um, you know, Hell yeah. love, love talking to you guys. Love talking to everybody on Tesla Twitter. Um, JPR is another guy. Great, great uh, you know research. A lot of stuff. Um, Matt Smith too on the energy side. Love love his work too. So check out uh, his YouTube channel as well. Dude, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Meyer. This has been a blast, and I'm gonna try and tweet out all these charts. Uh, people should definitely hit you up with more questions because you put out like we just like scratched the surface on all this but have a great uh day and yeah thanks again peace out Meyer. all right man peace